God, we praise you for who you are, that you're a God that we can come before. Father, we recognize uh, that as we just sang, uh, Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. Lord, that was your plan from eternity past, that Jesus would pay the penalty that we could not after he lived the life that we could not and died the death that we deserved. Um, Father, we praise you for the gospel, for the way that you love us so deeply, Jesus. We praise you for your obedience to the Father, uh, Lord, and your atoning for us. Lord, and we thank you for the Spirit who indwells us and empowers us even today. And God, as we gather here, we recognize the immense privilege that it is to gather freely in your name, uh, to talk about your word and to engage with other believers. And so we thank you for this gift this morning. And now as we open your word, Spirit, would you be among us, encouraging us and equipping us and convicting us as needed. Uh, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, do you or someone you know have a tendency to overcomplicate things? You know how this goes, right? You take something simple and then you play with it in your head for a while and then you can't even remember what the thing is that started this train of thought, but you know that you're like filled with anxiety and everything in your life just feels really complicated and it never had to be that way. Well, did you know that there's a whole corner of the internet dedicated to overcomplicating things? Uh, if you go home after this service and you uh, enter into your search engine of choice, um, Rube Goldberg machines or chain reaction videos, you can find uh, all sorts of uh, simple everyday tasks that are overcomplicated on purpose. So I watched one the other day that uh, was this guy who needed to turn his page on the newspaper that he was reading. And so he, you know, lifted up his coffee cup that pulled a string that caused some stuff to fall, that caused some picture frames to do some stuff on hanging on the wall that started a fire, that made some pool balls roll. And eventually there's a hamster walking across this table. And, and then at the end, two minutes and ten seconds later, you know, because that makes sense, turning the page of a newspaper, uh, a, a piece of, um, or a roll of tape goes across the desk and the, the page is turned, Right. Then yesterday, um, someone sent me a video, not knowing that I was opening with this kind of illustration, and uh, it was a video of this guy who has like a Hot Wheels setup, right? It goes, the car goes down the ramp and whatever, and they, and they put a hot dog on top of this car, and so it goes down the ramp, and it goes around a corner and jumps, and the hot dog flips onto the grill, and now we've overcomplicated grilling hot dogs, right? One of life's simple things, uh, we've overcomplicated that, Right? Well, as fun as those videos are and as entertaining as they can be, when it comes to Scripture, we can have a tendency to overcomplicate things, can't we? Sometimes, not like the past several sermons and texts that we've looked at here in Romans, uh, dealing with the nature of God working in salvation, uh, things just are complicated. But this morning, in Romans chapter 12, that is not the case. Paul is going to shift in this next section in the book from talking about how salvation works and all the complexities of that to how salvation works out in the lives of believers. We'll be taking a look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, as Caleb just read for us. Uh, that's on page 920 in the Worship Center Bible. Uh, I'd encourage you to pull that out and open it up, or if you have your phone with you, open that up, or whatever Bible you have. I'll be preaching from the NIV, but it's always good to have the text in front of you, following along, making sure that I'm actually talking about what's in there. So as you turn there, uh, remember this quote. All great theology should cause us to worship. 
Does that sound like something that you should know? Like, ah, where did I just hear that? Well, last week, uh, the famous Pastor Dan said that. All great theology should cause us to worship. Well, that's what Paul is going to deal with in these first couple of verses in chapter 12. And these first two verses in 12 really serve as a heading for the enti- almost the entire rest of the book of Romans. Look back with me at these first two verses of chapter 12. Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Therefore, Paul says, in light of your salvation by grace alone through faith alone, in light of the reality that you've been pulled out of death and brought into life, in light of the fact that God is merciful and has called you into relationship with himself apart from anything that you've done and totally on the basis of what Jesus has done on your behalf. In light of that, Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, Paul is going to have a lot to say about how we are to live in light of the gospel over these next several chapters. And and this morning, we're going to see two responses to the gospel. The first is what we just read. Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He gives several important details about this sacrifice. First, he says it's a living sacrifice. Sacrifices throughout the Old Testament, as you probably know, weren't living, right? They were dead. You killed an animal to atone for your sin or to purify yourself and and to signify your devotion to God. You gave the best animal from your flock as a burnt offering. Giving of that best animal uh, signaled to him that uh, the best of what you owned was his, right? If you're willing to burn the best the juiciest, the tastiest, best-looking animal on the altar as an offering, well, then surely the worst ones would be no problem in giving them over to God. But now, he says, instead of offering something else as that offering and killing it, Paul says that you're to offer your body as a living sacrifice. And so every aspect of your life, not just your possessions, are surrendered daily, to the Father. Right? We're to deny ourselves daily. We're to follow in obedience daily. We're to surrender our desires over and over and over again for the sake of the glory of God in response to the mercy that he's poured out. Pastor and author Tim Keller says it like this. He says, the Christian life is to be a daily giving over of our lives and our bodies in obedience to God motivated by the view of God's mercy that we have as we stand at the foot of the cross and see his son dying there for us. As we stand at the foot of the cross and recognize God's mercy and kindness towards us in Jesus, we pour out our lives as a living sacrifice. Second, we read that this sacrifice is to be holy and pleasing to God. 
This is a radically countercultural statement, both in Rome and in America. When, we, when first century Christians looked out on the streets of Rome, and when 21st century Christians look out on the streets of Wisconsin Rapids, we are told everywhere that we are to lay our lives at the altar of self-expression and pleasure. And live our lives in the name of living our best life now and garnering all the wealth and possessions and happiness and adventures and on and on that we can. Well, friends, our lives are not our own. As a result of the mercy of God, we are called to live out our lives as holy, right? As different, as set apart, as dedicated, and as pleasing. Not in the name of fame and fortune, not to ourselves, but to God. But to God. My life is not about pleasing myself. My life is not about pleasing my family. It's not about pleasing my friends or my teachers or my boss. My life is about pleasing God in heaven. Third, he says that this living sacrifice is your true and proper worship. All right, we just saw that all great theology should cause us to worship. And Paul says, in view of God's mercy, worship with your whole self. I think it's interesting if you look at different uh, translations of the Bible and you look at this clause here in Romans 12. We saw that the NIV says that this is your true and proper worship. The ESV says that this is your spiritual worship. The CSB again says true worship. The New Living, some of you use the New Living Translation, NLT, says this is truly the way to worship him. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he's a pastor and author, he wrote a paraphrase of the whole Bible called The Message. Uh, He wrote this about these verses. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. He says it's the best thing you can do for him. Well, if you open up some Bible study software or look at um, some commentaries, it's quickly pointed out that all those English translators made an odd and interesting choice here. Because the Greek word behind what's translated all those different ways is, is the word logikos. It's the word for reasonable, or you maybe heard it there, the word for logical, right? In other words, Paul is saying that the reasonable and the logical response to the mercy of God being poured out in your life is that you and I would offer ourselves as living sacrifices to him. We owe him everything, right? We just sang about it right before I came up here. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. We owe him everything, but not because we have to pay him back for what he did. This isn't like a a buy-your-salvation type deal. It's it's not a bail bondsman situation where God posted bail and now we have to somehow, you know, do enough good things and and earn what God did or he's going to throw us back in the slammer, right? This is a situation where God has brought us back to life, out of death and into life, and he said, I love you and I've given you everything you need to thrive, And now, the only logical response to such great an act of love and mercy is to spend every day in gratitude, 
pouring out our lives as a living sacrifice in worship to God for his glory. It's our true and proper or logical worship. Fourth, he says, this sacrifice and God's will are not of this world. Well, how do we start living our lives as sacrifices? Paul says, by being transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? Rather than conforming to the pattern of this world. That's a really tough thing to do. Because everywhere we look, we're inundated with false gospel messages. Right? Some of them from false preachers who tell us that if we just have more faith or we just believe a little harder, then we can have everything that our hearts desire and we'll be successful and we'll have money and all sorts of blessings. Right? We, see, we see the lies there, but some of them come from more subtle places. Right? The social media content that we scroll far too often that screams that fame and recognition, and money, and having this perfectly put together life is success. It tells us that faithfully walking out our lives and influencing just a few, right, even if it's just our homes, is far too small of an aspiration. Right, then we're told by the media that we watch on TV that success is being wildly physically attractive, right, and composed in every situation, no matter what comes our way, nothing shakes us, and we're always ready with that perfect, witty comeback line. And if we're honest, we are often influenced more than we'd like by those sources, right? And the struggle that we face runs deep. But here's the thing, you don't have to do that struggle alone, God has given you his spirit. You are indwelled. You are filled, literally, by the spirit of God. That God who spoke creation into existence, who raised Jesus up out of death, literally brought him back to life. That same God has given you his spirit, and and he fills you, and he wants to transform you. Have you ever thought about that? That God, by his spirit, wants to help you live better. He wants to help you live better. A holy life. He wants to help you change so that things are good in your life. He's not just watching you struggle with temptation, saying, yeah, you can figure it out, deal with it. You made this mess, now you can figure out how to get out of it, right? You made your bed, now lie in it. That's not what he does. He's not hanging you out to dry. He's with you in that struggle. He's there gently correcting your path. He's there in that still, small voice that you've heard when you're about to make a wrong decision, when temptation comes your way, and you hear, this is the wrong choice. Don't do that. This is the wrong, go this way instead. We've all heard that as we we come to temptation and we're faced with that split-second decision, should I go this way or that way, and we hear, this is the wrong way. That's the spirit within you convicting And he challenges, and he encourages, and he leads towards righteousness. And you are not in this process of transformation alone. No, not at all. God is with you in the midst of it, working to change your heart and your mind. So, Paul says, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God as our true or logical or rational worship, right? Not being conformed, but instead being transformed by the renewing of our minds in order to live our lives out in light of the mercy of God, 
right? That call governs pretty much the entire rest of the book of Romans, where Paul is going to get quite practical over the next few chapters. And so the second response that we see this morning is really an outworking of the first. Paul says that we are to live our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And in order to do that, he says in this next section, very practically, use your gifts in the church. Use your gifts in the church. Look with me at verses 3 through 5. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Before we dive into this section, uh, let's back up for a second and remember some key details that we've shared along the way about this letter to the Romans. Remember with me, right? Paul wrote this letter to the young church in Rome. It's a church that was made up of Jews and Gentiles, right? And, and they were working hard to try and figure out how to make this thing called following Jesus happen together, right? It's how we get our, our sermon series title, right? Uh, um, living the gospel together, Right? He's, he's laid out the gospel very clearly in these first 11 chapters. He's addressed the Jews and the Gentiles and how one group the Jews were chosen and one group the Gentiles were grafted in. And he, he's dealt with the complex topic of God's sovereign choice right, and how that's held up with human responsibility. And he's gotten into the history of it all. We've talked about Abraham a couple of times. And he's talked about eternal security and how that works and on and on. Right? And now, after he's built up this amazing theological base, he's going to start telling this young group of believers how to be the church. And he starts with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts can be an overwhelming and confusing topic if we let them. All right? When we talk about spiritual gifts, some of you are going to say, I have no idea what spiritual gifts are. I'm pretty sure I don't have any gifts. I'm not really good at anything. I'm kind of new here, and I don't, I'm not interested in this. I don't really want to serve anyway, so I'm going to tune out. Others of you might say, yep, I have heard this before. We've talked about spiritual gifts in church. We've talked about it in small groups. I've done spiritual gift assessments. I've read these texts over and over, and, and I have a gift, or I have some gifts, and I know what it is, and I'm using it, and so I don't need to listen. Whatever. Well, then there's a third option somewhere in the middle that I think everyone in here should take. Right? Whether you're new to this thing or you've been faithfully serving for years, when we're done today— I want you to do what Paul tells the Roman Christians to do here. I want you to take some time, and I want you to think about yourself with sober judgment and evaluate whether you're serving your brothers and sisters and reflecting the glory of God as you should. The answer to that question may well be yes. Good. Praise God. I'm glad that you're walking out God's call in your life. And it may be no that's okay. I'm glad you're here because hopefully what Paul lays out in these next verses is helpful to you as you figure out how to use your gifts to the glory of God. So, how do we begin to use our gifts 
in the church? Well, first it says in verse 3 that we evaluate ourselves, right? Not thinking more highly of ourselves than we should, but instead looking at ourselves with sober judgment. There can be temptation on two ends of a spectrum as we think about ourselves and our gifts and our abilities. On the one hand, there's a tendency that Paul identifies here for people to think too highly of themselves, right? Or even more than that, to value certain gifts over others and then to aspire to those gifts when maybe the ability isn't really there. We think more highly of our ability to carry out certain tasks and we ignore the fact that we just aren't equipped for that. We think much higher of ourselves than we ought. And Paul says, don't do that. He says, instead, take a sober look at who you are and what your strengths really are and press into that. See, your strengths are not mine and mine are not yours. And according to verse 4, that's a really, really good thing. Paul talks about bodies, right? And each of our bodies has different parts. We have eyes and ears and feet and legs and arms and intestines and whatever, right? Well, if every part of our body were arms, that would be awful. We would not function, right? And if every part were a liver, for example, that would be awful and gross, right? On and on. But when those things come together and every part of us comes together, we form a functioning human body that's able to live for years and carry out God's call. We all understand that it would be an awful choice to trade our kidneys for a second pair of eyes, right? Even though the eyes are, you know, they're on our face and they help us see and they seem pretty important, they're really not more important than the kidneys, right? Because every place has its part, Every part has its place, and every part matters. And so it is with the church. Different parts have different functions, and every part matters. So there's this temptation to think of yourself too highly and to try and perform a function that you're not really built for. But then, on the other hand, there's this temptation to think too little of the importance of your gifting. And that's not evaluating with sober judgment, like Paul says, either. Every part of your body is necessary for it to function properly, right? Again, imagine with me. Imagine your heart, because it cannot speak, says, ah, I'm not really important. I think I'm going to call it in. Have a good one, body. It's been nice knowing you, but clearly my gifts aren't needed here. I contribute nothing to speech or digestion, and so I'm just not needed. Well, that's a silly example, right? Because we know that if our hearts checked out for even just a couple of minutes, the entire body suffers tremendously. But so it is with you. You might not think that your gifts are important, but they are. You might not think that your presence matters, but it does You might wish that you were something else, that you had different abilities, but you don't. And that is by design. And it is a good thing. This is why it's so important that we gather together on a regular basis as the body of Christ in the church. If you do not gather and participate in your local body regularly, you cannot express your giftings. You can't pump the blood for the arms or take the steps 
so the rest of the body can move or provide vision and help protect from danger and on and on. Right? Is it essential that the church gather together and individuals share their gifts with one another? Both for the good of the individuals, the good of the group, and ultimately for the glory of God. You cannot be all that God has called you to be. You cannot express your true and proper and reasonable worship if you do not gather together with believers on a regular basis. Remember, verse 5 says that each member belongs to the others. And so, if you've fallen out of the habit of gathering together on a regular basis, I want to urge you and invite you to come back and re-gather as the church of Jesus, expressing your gifts. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, oh, that's for those people watching online. I'm here. You're preaching to the choir. Well, the temptation's going to come, and you're going to wake up, and you're going to think, oh, my kids are crabby today. Me and my spouse were bickering. I'm tired. I have a long week at work. I got stuff going on. Do I, do I really need to show up to church? I don't offer anything to that place. I, I don't want to be there. Remember, it is vitally important that each and every one is here. And so, when you feel that temptation, roll out of bed, hop in the shower, and show up. It's critical that you come to church and gather as the body of Christ. Okay, all that said, in verses 6 to 8, we see a list of spiritual gifts that Paul lays out. This list here in Romans is not complete. There are other gifts listed in places like 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. But Paul chose this particular set of gifts to talk about here and to spell out for the church of Rome. I think he picked these because uh, without these gifts, that particular church in Rome wasn't going to work. That doesn't make the other gifts that are listed elsewhere less important or less critical or any of that. But to Rome, these gifts, at, ver at the very least, were critical. And so, since they show up in our text, these are the ones that we're going to talk about this morning. So, would you look with me at verses 6 to 8? It says this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul says, according to the grace given to each of you, use your gifts. Well, this measure of grace or dividend of grace or whatever that's given out, in my view, is not different for each person. I think what Paul is saying here is that each person has been given grace, right? First in salvation, and then in the indwelling or filling of the Holy Spirit who gives gifts. And so another way to think about what he's saying here is, since you have been given grace, use your gifts. Now, you may have some of the gifts that we talk about this morning. You might have one of them, or you might have none of them that are listed specifically here. But I assure you that if you're following Jesus, you have spiritual gifts. Whatever the case is, if your gifts show up here or not, Paul says, use them. Use your gifts. And then he lays out these seven that we're going to work through. First, he says, if your gift is prophecy, then prophesy. 
Well, prophecy here, I think, is not like the Old Testament type of prophecy where God is providing new revelation, right? The scriptures, uh, the Bible is complete in all that it says. And, um, and, and any prophecy that someone would have would be compared or held up against how God has already revealed himself rather than adding more to what God has already said. So we aren't adding more verses to the Bible, but prophecy still shows up here. What then is prophecy? Well, we've all heard sermons or sermonettes or had conversations with people that were just incredibly impactful, right? Simple and profound truths that just hit us hard. Clearly that person was speaking from beyond himself or herself, right? The spirit was in them, and some might call this uh, an anointed utterance, where God uses an individual to re-communicate a truth from Scripture in an especially powerful way. Prophecy. And we need people like that in the church. It's, it's why it's important that when you feel like you have something from God to tell a fellow believer, that you share it. And you don't just sit on it, but you tell them because you never know how God might be using and empowering that message from you in the lives of other people. Prophecy. He then says, if your gift is serving, then serve. Some folks are really good at helping people. All right, some look at organization and administration and behind-the-scenes logistics work as something that like ascended from the depths. Right? You know who you are if that rings a bell. Others love that stuff. If you're someone who loves to serve, someone who loves to do practical tasks or who works well on teams of people and thrives in behind-the-scenes work, then Paul says, serve. Use those abilities and serve the church. I want to get um, pastoral with you for just a second. Over and over, as we just saw, we're going to see Paul identify a gift and then tell people to use that gift that they've been given. And I'm going to say the same thing to you this morning. Use your gifts. If your gift is serving or any of the other gifts on this list or anywhere else in scripture, your call is to use that gift. But it's easy for us to let ourselves off the hook with this, isn't it? We, we say things like, well, nobody ever asked me. Nobody ever invited me to serve in this area. So, okay. Nobody's ever helped me identify what my gift is. You know, and they've never given me an assessment or they've never talked to me about this. No, nobody else ever did this, so, okay. Nobody's ever done X, Y, Z, right? Equipped me in this way to make sure that I, that I really have this and they've, they've checked on it. and all. No one's ever done that to make sure that I can really do this. It's easy to say that. It's easy to say, well, I'm young. I'll wait till I'm a little bit older and wiser, and I know a little bit more about what it means to be part of the church. And, 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 and until then, well, the older crowd can handle it, right? They've been around. They know what they're doing. They've been serving a long time. On the other hand, it's easy to say, well, I'm retired. I put my time in. I served faithfully for years. It's time for those young ones to step up and fill in the gaps. Church, I mean it when I say that I love you. I love this church. I love you as people, as individuals, as a body. I love this community and serving here. 
And, and, I'm going to tell you, you are never too new of a Christian or too young. You have never put your time in or are too old or are too retired. The pattern in Scripture is that when you are following Jesus, you are necessarily exercising your gifts in the church from start to finish, from beginning to end. So, wherever you lie on any of those spectrums, right, if you're a new believer or a long-time believer, if you're young or you're old, whether your gifts are behind the scenes or are more public, you are all necessary for the health and functioning of the church. So use your gifts. Use your gifts. If your gift is serving, Paul says, serve. If your gift is teaching, then teach. Some of you are very gifted teachers. We have a lot of gifted teachers, both men and women here at Crossview. And Paul and I would say to you, then teach. Teach in conversations. Teach in Sunday school classes, in Apex small groups, in Blast Off, in your homes. Teach your life group, your coworkers, whatever it is. Teach. Everyone is not called to teach from a stage. Some are, right? But many, the majority, are not called to teach from a stage. And yet, the gift of teaching shows up here to this church in Rome, and it's so important to us today. Parents and grandparents, it is critical that you are teaching your children and your grandchildren and the next generation the, the truths of Scripture and of Christ's love. And so if you're not teaching that group, start. There are so many places that the church needs teachers. And so if you have that gift, find ways to use it. Find ways to develop your teaching ability, to grow in it, and use it. Teach. Teach people around you to the glory of God. Then he says, if your gift is encouraging, then encourage some in the church are excellent encouragers, right? We all have those people that popped into our mind at Crossview who use their gift of encouragement really well. Men and women who come up on Sundays just to say, I've been praying for you. Or to ask, how are you doing? And then they stand there and they listen because they really care and they encourage. Some scholars suggest that counseling or advising falls under this kind of gift. And some of you are particularly good at hearing about a situation with an individual or a family or a group or whatever. And then you offer good, sound, godly wisdom. And you encourage people in a direction that is helpful. The church needs that. We need Jesus followers who can and will speak into each other's lives and encourage one another. If your gift, Paul says, is giving, then give generously. We all start to squirm at this one, right? The church has this reputation at times. Well, that place, they just want my money. Well, Paul identifies generosity in giving as a spiritual gift. Why? This should come as no surprise, but the church, since its foundation in the first century, needs money to carry out its mission, right? That's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be weird about. And as Christians, we are called to give and to give generously. So what does that mean for you? 
Well, it means that if you are someone who is a regular attender here, you would say, Crossview Church is my church family. I'm, I'm part of this body. Or you've even taken the next step and you're a member here. It means that if that's you, then you should be giving financially on a regular basis. That's part of what it means to follow after Jesus. Maybe you've never considered that before because no one's ever told you. Maybe you've been giving faithfully for years. But whatever the case, wherever you are with that, one way that the follower of Jesus logically worships God and logically trusts God is by giving financially toward the mission and the body and the bride of Christ that is the church. So if that's the norm for all believers that we would be giving to the mission of the church, then, then how is this a particular spiritual gift? Well, for some, giving generously is the primary way that they serve the church. Maybe that's you. Maybe for your whole life or just for a season because of obligations with work or with your family or whatever, the primary way that you can serve the church is not with your time because you don't have much of that, but by giving generously. So, Paul says, when you give, do it generously. Not begrudgingly or with bitterness, but with generosity and worship in your heart. He then says, if your gift is leading, then do it diligently. Lazy leaders are not good leaders, right? Lazy leaders are not leaders who are living up to their call. God raises up men and women within the church and gifts them with leadership to lead ministries and lead small groups and families and children and teens and to lead in song. For the good of the church, some are called to lead. And Paul says, if you are a leader, be diligent in your leadership. Don't be a lazy leader. Yes, lead as Christ led, sacrificially Lead others to Jesus. Lead others to the gospel. But be diligent, not lazy, in your leadership. Finally, Paul says, if your gift is showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Some of you are burdened to care for people. Right? Maybe it's helping marginalized or needy people. It's helping the elderly or the very young or orphans or widows the sick, addicts, on and on, right? If you have that burden, if you have the desire to show mercy and to care for those people, Paul says, use that gift and do it cheerfully. Get involved with mercy ministries that Crossview Church partners with. You heard about SWEPs in the announcements. We also partner with Hannah Center and Mary's Place. There's lots of opportunities to serve in mercy-type Ministries. You can even do it here when you show up on a regular basis on Sundays as you interact with hurting people. Show mercy and care and compassion. Pray with and love hurting people. Well, prophecy and serving and teaching and encouraging and giving and leading and showing mercy. Right? These gifts and more are vital to the thriving of the church. The expression of these gifts is the natural and logical response to the pouring out of the gospel in our lives. Right? God loves you. 
deeply. He's shown mercy and grace toward you. And because of that, in gratitude and in faith and empowered by the Holy Spirit that indwells you, use your gifts to the glory of God. Paul's message in these eight verses is profound and yet so simple, right? The only natural response to the mercy of God is to worship him as a living sacrifice, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, not conformed to the pattern of this world. And the first area that Paul tells that first century crowd and us to live that out is the church. So serve one another. You are needed. Your life and your skills and your gifts and your abilities are unique and oh so necessary for the thriving of the church of Jesus Christ. So, what do I want you to do after this message? Well, I want you to do what I already told you and what Paul told you in verse 3. I want you to go home this week and look at yourself with sober judgment and ask this question. Am I using my gifts for the sake of God's glory in the church? If so, how? Am I using my gifts? If so, how? That's it. That's it. Take a sober look at how God has made you, how he's wired you, how he's gifted you. Look where other believers have affirmed or maybe discouraged you. Look at what scripture has to say about gifts and then use those gifts to the best of your ability as a living sacrifice to the full glory of God. Let's pray.